Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the letter of 2 Timothy. We've entitled the series, Guard the Faith. And this morning's message is from 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. The title of this morning's message is, God's Truth is Marching On. God's Truth is Marching On. I'm sure you're familiar with the battle hymn of the Republic. You know it, right? Glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. Well, that song has been sung by freedom fighters for over 150 years. It was written right around the time of the Civil War. The first time that Abraham Lincoln heard it, he wept. In fact, the story goes that he said, sing it again. It was sung at a public meeting. Sing it again. It's a glorious song. Winston Churchill loved the song. It was one of his favorite songs. As a matter of fact, he asked that it be sung at his funeral, and it was, in fact, sung there. And Dr. Martin Luther King quoted from it often in his speeches and talks. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Church, God's truth is marching on. Last week, God told us from his word that we're to march in with his truth to set the captives free from the tyranny of Satan's lies, the devil's lies. That's 2 Timothy 2.26. We do this by teaching the truth, by patiently enduring evil. We do this by correcting our opponents with gentleness, praying that God would grant them repentance and that they might escape from the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do the enemy's will. We're to do that with God's truth. And this week, God encourages us, church, to keep marching with his truth into the battle. This is a battle that has been raging from the beginning of time. The battle was set at the very beginning of time when Satan, the devil, came with his lie to Eve and said, God isn't good, he's trying to keep something from you. And the battle has been raging ever since. It was raging 2,000 years ago with Pastor Timothy in Ephesus and there were people leaving his church because Hymenaeus and Phil, or as David said, Jaime and Phil, Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching lies about the resurrection and about Jesus and people were leaving the church and the mega church down the street was growing because people were giving a Christianity that was not a Christianity. And Timothy's saying, how can I stand in the face of this? And Paul, who was a prisoner in Rome, said, you stand because God's truth is marching on. March with it. March with it. And that battle rages today. Listen, the battle has always been between God's truth and the devil's lies. How does it rage in your life? Is it the lie that there is no God who created this earth, but rather it just happened to come about through chance and time and energy? What a lie that is. What a convenient way to remove accountability from our creator. Is it the lie that is being, has been expressed here in this letter by Hymenaeus and Philetus that the physical resurrection isn't really going to happen or it's already happened? Man, what a horrible lie. Especially when your father-in-law just passed away 
or your mother passes away, or you look in the mirror and think, when am I going to pass away? What's on the other side? What a lie. Or is it, or are they the lies that are being propounded by Paul Young in his book, The Shack, and the movie based upon that book? Lies about God's goodness and his sovereignty. Lies about the cross and the propitiation of Christ, calling the cross cosmic child abuse. Yeah, that's the, that's the theology upon which the movie is based. Lies about whether God is sovereign over all, or does he really know what's going on, or does he just kind of join the mess? Lies about election and God's truths in Romans 9, that it is God who saves, and he saves in Christ alone, and he's the one that determines that. The the movie speaks of universalism, big time. The, The battle rages on, and in the midst of that battle, here's what God is saying to us. Well, it actually, it comes from the first verse uh, of, the, of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, at the end of that first verse, it's in our text. Listen to the first verse of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. God says, march and beat with his truth and not the errors of man. The battle rages, but the main point of this text this morning is this, march to the beat of God's truth and not man's errors. Listen, man's errors, the lies of the devil have been here from the beginning. The fight is on. We're joining the fight. It was 2,000 years ago. It's today. It's in your head. What do you believe about God? Is he good? Does he hear you? Is there a resurrection? Is Jesus enough? How do I relate to God? Is it all my good works? Because I've been a good guy? These are the lies that we we fight with here, that we fight in our culture through blockbuster movies that thousands will go see and celebrate, though it's based on lies about God. Timothy fought him. These are the battles that will be fought until Jesus comes back. We're called to march to the beat of God's truth with the hope that God will deliver some. That's what David preached last week. But with the knowledge that others will refuse to join us, preferring to march to the beat of man's errors. And that breaks our hearts, especially when it's our family and it's our friends. It breaks our heart. It can discourage us when they march to the beat of man's errors and they march right out those doors, right out the front doors and never come back. Or they march out of your life. It's happened to me. And you're sad. And and you look at the culture around us and it just seems to be a a tidal wave of people rushing to march to the beat of man's errors and lies about God because it's more convenient for me to be God, not God to be God, and God just to be my heavenly butler that drops in when I need him every once in a while. And we think, oh, can we, can we make it? And this is what Pastor Timothy in the first century was wondering. And he was starting to weaken a little bit. And, and, and Paul, God is saying through Paul, stand. For my truth is marching on. And I will have the victory. What is the anthem to which 
you march, dear friend. What is the anthem that we will march to, dear friends? In the face of the onslaught of these lies, let us receive the encouragement of God's word. Are you there? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. This morning, church, God encourages us today as he encouraged Timothy on his day to march to the beat of his truth and not man's error. Point one, march to the beat of God's truth. God tells us about this war by informing us that we're in the battle. We're in the last days. Look at verse one. But understand this, that in the last days, what are the last days? Are they to come? Did they already pass? No, the last days are what we're living in right now. That's what Peter said in his first sermon of the church era in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 to 17 on the screen. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. We are in the last days. And here is what the last days will look like. And so God now describes for us the battle. And in describing the battle, he is telling us what it means to march to the beat of his truth. And he's doing it by way of contrast. So here is what characterizes the spirit and the error of the last days. Verses 2 through 4. If you take a look at verses 2 through 4, you will see all of these bad things summarize three major things about the last days. In the last days, the lies of the devil, the opposition to God and his truth will be characterized by three things. People will be lovers of self. Look at that in verse 2. See it? For people will be lovers of self. Secondly, in verse 2, they will be lovers of money. And thirdly, down in verse 4, they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here is the battle. Will I be a lover of self, a lover of money, and a lover of pleasure? Or will I be a lover of God? Will I live according to the lies of the devil and the errors of man? Or will I live according and will I march to the beat of God's truth? It's about loving God. It's about loving God. And so Tony Morita in his 
Commentary says the following, Indeed, we are to be lovers of God, ultimately. Out of the overflow of love for God, we can live lives of humility, integrity, and generosity. The psalmist expresses the supreme love. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. Godliness begins with adoration for God. Church, here's the question for you. What is your greatest love? It's a question for you. When you are satisfied in him and him alone, then you will find these godly virtues present in your life. Here is the bottom line. God's love expressed in Christ who died for our sins. God's love who causes us to be able to love one another. And then that love is expressed to us in what Christ did for us. He's the one who changes us. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who gives us new life. And as his people marching to the beat of his truth, and that is truth, then we're to be characterized by three things on the screen. Humility. We're not proud. We're not swollen with conceit. Dude, does that ever describe pride? Just swollen with conceit. That describes me far too often. Oh, Lord, help me. We're we're to have humility. Why? Because Christ died for my sins and Christ humbled himself for me. And I'm proud until Christ changes my nature because I believe the truth that, that the propitiation, that Jesus took the wrath of God and gave me God's favor. And I believe that the cross is where that occurred. So I don't ever call the cross cosmic child abuse. How dare he? How dare the shack say that? I don't care how many feel-goods come from that movie. That is error. And that is the basis and the theology upon which it was written. I'm trusting my God that he's given me a new life where I want it to be about Alpino, where I want to be arrogant and proud. God says, humble yourselves and I will give you grace. And I can't do it apart from Christ. But he did it for me and now he's changed me. So now I can love God rather than love pleasure. I can love God rather than love money. I can love God rather than love myself. I have generosity. And this is a big one. Instead of being a lover of money in verse 2, I'm a lover of God. Instead of using people to get money or things, I use money and things to serve people. That, that, Jesus does that because Jesus did that. Jesus became poor, left the glories with the father, did not cease from being God, the son, but left the glories. He became poor that I might become rich. So he changes me. And, and so I march to the beat of his truth, not the beat of the world, not the beat of the SUV that passed me last night and almost blew my windows in. I heard that beat very well. Actually, it was a good song, but it was like, boom, 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 boom. All right, so that's the world, right? So you either get in the SUV with the beat of the world because it's convenient and it, it tickles the whole lover of self thing, it tickles the whole lover of money thing, and it tickles the whole lover of pressure thing, or we march to the beat of God's truth, which is eternal, which one day will overcome all the others, but today it's looking a little rough. There's far few pe- fewer people here than were down at Wynwood Art Walk last night as I went down to encourage my daughter because she has a, a second job where she works down there. It was happening, man. 
They even had the police helicopters up with the, with the searchlight out, which is always encouraging when you're walking to your car by yourself down dark streets right near Wynwood. They don't know how tough I am, though, Anthony. Okay, so. <laughs> Scream. Ah, leave me alone. <laughs> but, but there's just a whole lot more people out there that night. And uh, listen, it's crazy. South Florida, I am a Latino, man. I started dancing with Stephanie a little bit, you know what I mean? But, but there's a beat there that says, you love yourself, Pino. You love money, Pino. Look at that car. Look at that. There were some nice cars. Uh, and, and you love pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry. That beat is in my head far too often. But Jesus died to put a different beat, the beat of God's truth in my life, my head, and my heart. And I'm going to march to that beat. That beat's going to win. That beat's going to win. That's what Paul's t- t- telling Timothy. And finally, integrity. Rather than living for pleasure, an unholy lifestyle, I live for God. And so I, I say, Father, thank you for changing me. Father, speak to me. Father, give me your grace. Father, I, I, I want to serve rather than being served. And in fact, let me just pause for a second and say this. God may be asking you and talking to you about working on one of them. Just one. Look, there's three. For you, it may be the lover of self, the pride. For you, it may be the lover of money, generosity. You're just stingy. You don't give. It says more about who you're trusting and what you're loving than anything else. And for some of you, it's integrity. You're stuck in some immoral relationships. You're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Pick one right now. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now and say, Lord, as Jesus humbled himself, do I need to learn how to humble myself? As David said last week, do I need to seek to understand before I'm seeking to be understood? Do I need to stop typing in caps when I post things on Facebook? You know, it's like it comes in caps. You say, stop yelling at me, bro, you know. For others of you, it may be to take a fresh look on how you handle money or maybe it's how money handles you. And whether you are using people to get things or are you using things to serve people. And for some it may be your relationships, your sexuality. We need to march to the beat of God's truth because it is God's truth that has saved us and given us hope. We were lost and hopeless, unable to do this, and Jesus saved us because he died on the cross and he took my sins and I deserved God's wrath. And he took it. And he rose from the dead. Yes, he did, Hymenaeus and Philetus. He literally, physically rose from the dead. And he's coming back. And that resurrection is true. And it comforts my grieving heart. And it dries my my eyes that are teared up because of the loss of loved ones. But I trust you. And now I'm going to march to that beat. And when I don't, you're going to remind me about it. Because you love me. When I hear certain beats coming out of your SUV, I'm going to say, hey, bro, what what are you listening to here? Metaphorically speaking. And when you hear them coming from my mouth or my life or whatever, and we love each other. And we march to the beat of God's truth. Do you want that? Remember last week, David talked about vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. The vessels for honor clean themselves because God cleans us in Christ so that they might be used for God's purposes. Do you want that? I do. Enough time has gone by in my life that I've been a vessel of dishonor using myself just for me, my money, my fame, my glory, my pleasure. Now there's something far greater than that, God's glory, God's pleasure. 
God's name. Do you want that? Do you want to march to the beat of God's truth? Then point two, you've got to avoid man's errors. Must avoid man's errors. Look at verses two through four again. Notice that those who love self, those who love money, those who love pleasure are characterized by broken relationships. Look at the words with me there. They're they're pretty, they're pretty stunning. Look at verse two. They're abusive. They're disobedient to their parents. Look at verse three. They're heartless. They're unappeasable. They're slanderous. They're brutal. Verse 4, they're treacherous. They're reckless. This is the brokenness of of loving something or someone with the love that only God deserves. I mean, it just comes back down to it, right? Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor if you do not love God. You cannot say you love God if you don't love your neighbor. It's those two commandments are one. The whole law is fulfilled and summarized right there. What do you love? Do you love to be right? Do you love pleasure? Do you love money? Do you love yourself? And God transforms us in Christ that we'd be lovers of God. And he says in verse five here, read it with me. Avoid such people. See that last three words of verse five. Avoid such people. It's marching to the beat of his truth and avoiding such people. Now, he's not talking about avoiding unbelievers. I went to Wynwood Art Walk last night. I was praying for people. I was reaching out to people. I was meeting some of the people that Stephanie works with. She's reaching out to them. She's not, it's not talking about that. We're not called to go move into a monastery somewhere. <laughs> We'd be in big trouble if that were the case because we all live in South Florida. It's about as far away from a monastery as you can get. It's like the anti-monastery. He's talking about avoiding people who say they're Christians or say they know God and are not and they're teaching falsehood. Avoid those people. Why? Look at verse 5. Because having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. They deny the power of God because like Paul Young, they deny the cross, they deny the propitiation, and Jesus said that the cross is the power of God, it's the glory of God, it's where God's glory and power are revealed. So if you deny that, you have no power. You have no power. Listen, every religion denies the cross to include the false religion of false teachers right now in America today who call themselves Christians. The Muslims say, how could you say God died on a cross? The Jews say, "Uh, it's a a foolishness and and it's weakness that Christ died on the cross. Paul Young says it's, it's, it's cosmic child abuse. Jesus says, God says that it is the power, it is redemption, it is where God meets us, it is where mercy and judgment kiss. It's how a righteous God can both judge sin and love the sinner. It happens at the cross. The cross is the central focus. This is the place where it happens. And if you deny that, then you deny the power. Jesus said, pick up my cross and follow me. I I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, Lord, bless my plans that I might prosper. Give me my dreams, my things. And we co-opt. That is 
that's a lie. But those churches abound. And they deny the power of God. Look at verse 6. These people do what? They creep in and they capture. They creep in and they capture. That word capture in verse 6 connects our text to what David preached last week in 226. You see it up there? After being captured by him, who's the him? The devil, to do his will. Here it's the same spirit. It's the same idea. These false teachers are creeping in and they're capturing people according to a lie, not the truth. Now these people may very well have been very wealthy people. They're mentioned here as women. There are a lot of women who were very wealthy, were saved in these different cities, and, and so they would give money to the church, and these false teachers weren't dumb. Who did they go after? They went after the wealthy women who would support their ministries. Golly, I've never seen that before, huh? Just turn on your TV. To a certain station. Actually, don't turn on the TV to that station. It's happening today. And what's the word? The word is Timothy, stand strong. The word is Timothy, don't give in. I know people are leaving. I know you're not popular. I know it's not the in vogue fad. I know there won't be a lot of people coming to listen to you preach, but, but 20 million will buy a book that's f- built on lies. And even more than that, we'll go watch a movie built on lies and we'll celebrate it. And many of them Christians that are undiscerning evangelicals. But don't flinch. March to the beat of God's truth because God's truth will win. And that's what verses 8 and 9 are all about. Old Janice and Jambres. So we've introduced a couple of characters here, haven't we? Hymenaeus and Philetus, or Hymen and Phil, as David would say last week. And now we've got these dudes, Janice and Jambres. That's a little easier, Janice and Jambres. Who are Janice and Jambres? Well, their names are not mentioned in Exodus. But extra-biblical Jewish literature names them. Timothy would have been aware of them. Anybody coming from a Jewish background would know that the text I'm about to read you in Exodus 7, verses 8 through 12, is talking about Janus and Jambres. And now you know. And now you know. What's happening in Exodus 7, 8 through 12? Well, God is delivering his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And at this particular time, Moses, who is a type of Christ, is standing and he's preaching to Pharaoh and he's saying, Pharaoh, let my people go because I am God and you are not. And Pharaoh says, nope, I'm God around here. We all say that to God all the time, don't we? I'm God around here and I'm not letting your people go. So God tells Moses and Aaron to do something before Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh and to change Pharaoh's mind. Let's pick up the narrative, Exodus 7, verses 8 through 12. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, Janus and Jambres. Janus and Jambres were in that bunch. Janus and Jambres, who were Jews, 
but who have been co-opted with a false Judaism, just like false teachers in Timothy's days were co-opted with false teaching. There were lies, just like the false teachers today who claim to be Christian, but do not preach what the Bible says about God and sovereignty and, and the cross and, and, and propitiation. Same gang, the chain gang. Their predecessors were Janus and Jampras, 1400 BC, Hymenaeus and Philetus, 2000, or, or uh, 30, 60 something AD, and fill in the blank today. The magicians of Is- Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. Oh, for each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. Wow. But, love that word, but Aaron's staff swallowed up there. Staff. The false teachers can throw their staff down metaphorically and have it turn into a serpent, and you're like, wow, that sounds logical to me. I mean, God doesn't punish sin, as it says in the shack. Sin is its own punishment. So, therefore, why would God have to send his son to die on a cross? This makes sense. Wow. You see it slithering on the ground. And then God's staff from God's people gets thrown down and that serpent eats the other one. Not pretty, but graphic. Eats it. Eats it. It overcomes it. I don't care how many people say whatever they want. If it's not here, this will eat everything else. This will rule everything else. This rules it all because God rules it all. And this is his word. And so Paul is using that story that they understood from Exodus 7. And they know who Janus and Jambres were. And this is the point he's making. This is the encouragement God gives us. God gives them. Verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Now listen, I've been intense in this sermon and about some things that are being written and movies that are out today, but I do so because of this verse right here. I take it very seriously to be your pastor, and I know Corey does as well, to be a shepherd of the flock, and I know that there are wolves that are hovering around the flock wanting to eat you and wanting to kill you, and the way they kill you is to teach you lies. So turn the TV off, open the Bible, and discern. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind. Exactly right. Disqualified regarding the faith. That's right. And now this is what he says to Timothy and us. But listen, don't get discouraged. No matter how many people follow them. Here's why. Verse 9. But they will not get very far. I don't care if you get 70 years into it. I don't care if you build a 5,000 member church. I don't care if you're rich and famous and you die and everybody loves you and you're on Fox or whatever other channel they want to bring you on to talk about the religious state of America and all that stuff. And everybody, everybody is for you. I don't care. You're not getting very far because in eternity, their folly will be plain to all as it was that of these two men. Earlier, it was Korah who opposed Moses. And, and this is an opposition of God. You understand what I'm saying? Moses is a type of Christ. And the ground opened up and swallowed him. Well, here's your second vignette, Janus and Jambres. God's truth marches on. And so we are to avoid man's error and march to the beat of God's truth. For God's truth will triumph over the lies of the devil. And God will judge those who oppose his truth. So don't oppose it. No matter how intense the battle rages. 
I love the final verse of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. It gives me hope. Because left to myself, I would buy the lies every day. Because they tickle my ears and they just seem easier. But I love this last verse of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. With a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. While God is marching on. Church, let us march with God. In his truth. He died to make Alpino free. He died for me when I was his enemy. He died to make you free if you're a Christian. And if you're not, listen, listen, right now, bow your heart and your head and your knee. And in a moment, we're going to pray and sing. And you, you cry out, say, God, whatever I understand of your gospel right now, I need Jesus. I don't understand. I'm going to talk to somebody, but forgive me. Make me free. You got to humble yourself. That's what repentance is all about. Acknowledge you're wrong and he's right. Listen, for some of you, marching with courage to the beat of God's truth simply is going to mean opening up the Bible and studying it with others. Coming to community group and and, and having biblical fellowship with people. Meeting in smaller groups where you can share with one another the gospel. For all of us, it means courageously sharing it at our work, courageously sharing it in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Let's march with the church. Bow your heads in prayer with me. Lord, as we bow our heads and we trust you, there are many of us that feel, just like David said last week, if this message overwhelms you and we feel overwhelmed, and then David said this, then you've understood it rightly. It overwhelms me. I could be such a coward at times. I could preach one thing from this pulpit on Sunday morning at 11.30 and do something different by Sunday afternoon, 1.30. I could be playing Christian tunes, metaphorically speaking, the beat of your truth one moment and have the raunchiest, worst tunes playing in my head an hour later. We're sheep. We're easily deceived and led astray. Our own hearts do, the world does, the devil does. But Lord Jesus, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ, you were born across the sea. With a glory, and that glory is the cross. I glory in the cross. The bloody, shameful cross. Where your blood covered my sin. You took my shame. You died to make this man free. May I march with you and die to make others free. Die to my own opinions. Die to my own pleasures. Die to my own reputation. Yes, maybe for some of us we may physically be called to give our lives. But we want to march with you, Lord. We're done marching to the beat of this world or our own wicked heart or or the devil's tunes. Help us, Lord. It is overwhelming. 
Help us. Lord, we, we just want to confess together that we do this knowing that you are Lord of all. You are. So Lord, help us believe that as we stand and sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Crown him.